Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, and welcome to episode three of Suncast, the premier podcast for solar professionals in Latin America. My name is Nico Johnson, and I am so grateful you're joining me today for our weekly conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. I believe that personal connections coupled with in-depth market data is the most effective way to stay ahead of the trends in a fast growth market. Whether you're listening today on your commute or your lunch break, it's my hope that this show helps give you the tools, insights, and resources to lead the solar revolution in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. Each week we draw from my own personal experience over the last decade working in Latin America with some of the largest companies and projects in the solar industry. And I also bring stories right from the front lines as I see them unfolding. I'd like to start out this week with a huge thank you to all those who've taken the time to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in iTunes. Here's just a little shout out to three of our five-star reviewers from the past week, starting with Solar Andy. Thanks for your review, man. Really glad you like the show, and I hope that you stay hooked. Mr. Rec Trader, thank you, sir, for the longest review so far. So glad to know that you see the value for non-solar folks listening to the show as well. That was a great comment. And last, Mr. P. Dossey. Thanks for the acknowledgement and kind words, my friend. I hope the show keeps meeting and exceeding your expectations. And to all of you who've reached out in person or online, here's a big virtual hug from me to you. Your encouragement and even more your feedback helps me know if the show's connecting or where we might want to add or edit content, so do keep it coming. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the show though so far. What do you think? How can we improve? You can shoot me an email to nico at mysuncast.com, N-I-C-O at mysuncast.com. You can drop me a line on the website. You'll see an envelope there. You click that, and it'll also send me an email. Or you can just shoot me a tweet at Nico Mayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O. Let me know how we can improve, what you'd like to hear more of, or what just isn't working. And remember to click the Enter to Win button on our website, to find out how you can win $100 just by being interested in what we're up to. As with last week's show, this week we are tapping the multi-decade brain trust of an industry veteran. I want you to learn from the success of those who've gone before you, and I'm working on your behalf to tease out details and new market development, as well as tips to improve as a developer, salesperson, no matter what market you're in. It's my commitment to deliver that value to you every Tuesday morning, just in time for drive time. Today on Suncast, we chat with Camilo Patrinani about Greenwood Energy taking big risks in Panama, validating the Mexico distributed solar market for SolarCity, and pivoting from large utility to rooftop solar. I think you're going to love it. So let's get this show rolling with Camilo. Really excited about today's episode. We're here live at Solar Power International 2015. Today's episode is in-person interview. I don't get to do a whole lot of those, but was able to wrangle down Camilo Petrinani from Greenwood Energy. We're live here 
in the press room. I'm testing out this format, hoping to be able to do more of it moving forward. We'll see if it works, and if it does, then hopefully at all of the other shows here and in Latin America, I'll be able to tie down a few solar leaders and pick their brain in person instead of over the phone or over Skype. This time, we have the distinct pleasure of uh, having Camilo Petronani, as I mentioned, from Greenwood Energy join us. Camilo brings 20 years of experience, mostly in finance and structured uh, transactions, to the solar industry. He's been with Greenwood for a little while. I'll let him talk about that. And he was formerly the head of Greenwood's parent company, Libra Group, which is responsible, where he was responsible for the strategic direction of Libra's interest in North America and throughout Latin America. I've found Camilo, Camilo to be extremely analytical. One of the things that attracted me to him was a presentation he gave at one of the Latin America events a couple of years ago where by, by far he presented the most analytical data-driven presentation on the panel. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was very, uh, it was very pertinent and, uh, and again, data-driven, which is what we strive for here on, on the podcast. And, uh, you know, his, the energy brings to the, the relationships he has is, is very Latino in, in style, and you'll understand why when we hear a little more about his background. And these, these helped uh, Greenwood secure some of the largest deals in the region, forging notable partnerships. And uh, glad to have Camino on the show today. Camilo, thanks for joining us. You ready? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me as well, Nico. And before we dig into your experience and really Greenwood's trajectory since you've come into the helm, I'd like to get a sense of how you feel just about the show this year. I mean, SPI, as we call it, is the largest North America show, uh, competes often with InterSolar. But um, it's, I'm curious from a CEO's perspective versus someone in the project development realm, how does this show typically get organized for you? What are you looking to get out of it? And how does this show stack up to ones in the past? Uh, it's always a great opportunity to meet with people. And that's what you know business is all about at the end of the day. So um, no, disappointing, no, no disappointment on that end. A um, uh, good opportunity to catch up with friends, um, uh, new potential partners uh, or friends. And, you know, everybody you want to see in the industry uh, is here, you know, and it's usually on these conferences. So uh, well run, uh, best, uh, most uh, uh, productive conference, I think, in, um, in, in the year in the world, probably. Actually. Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. Kudos to the SPI team for in pulling that off, get, a, get the best conference of the year award from Mr. Camilo. Indeed. And, um, you know, so as a... Uh, as, as a leader of the company, I expect that you have folks here on your finance team who are meeting with the bankers, and you have folks here from your, from your uh, procurement team who are meeting with the panel manufacturers and the racking. So what are you looking for in terms of, the, at the CEO level, what are you looking to accomplish? Are you just catching up with friends, or are you, are you drilling into very strategic relationships? Yeah, I mean, look, sometimes I, I, I mean, of course, I, I try to do the more strategic meetings, but sometimes I just enjoy uh, sitting down with a, uh, an equipment manufacturer. Mm -hmm. It could be uh, a small uh, inverter company, uh, hearing their stories. You know, for instance, I, I met with uh, the Enphase guys yesterday, mm -hmm. and I didn't know much about their company, and it was just impressive, you know, just to see how uh, some not-so-big companies and, and um, companies that actually have been started up relatively recently have been successful. And, and I try to learn uh, as much as possible. I'm not a, I don't have an engineering background. I've been in, in the industry for about six years in, in, in the uh, energy or you know, renewables. 
and I find it uh, as a great opportunity to just learn more stuff, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. Have you had a chance to walk the floor yet this time? Um, probably 5% of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's as you say, you know, you get and stopped and uh, you're running from one meeting to the other. And I would like actually the meetings to be uh, formulated in a more spontaneous way. Right. As you walk the floor. Yep. But as you know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So well, I've taken a different approach. I mean, this is my ninth year at SPI. Uh-huh. And uh, I've left both at InterSolar and now at SPI, I've left a buffer of probably 20 to 30% in my schedule, unscheduled, where I block it out. And I call it, in my schedule, walk trade show floor. But eventually what happens is it gets booked with people who say, hey, let's meet. Do you have any time on your calendar? Um, because it's essential to be able to leave that time apart and have those spontaneous meetings, right? Perfect. Yeah. I, yeah. I just learned something, see? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'll use it. I, I'm, That's great. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm honored that I could teach uh, something to oh, the great sure. Camilo. <laughs> 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 we'll talk a little bit about Latin America Caribbean Solar Alliance, but do you see a lot of folks from the Latin American market coming to the North America shows lately? Yeah, a yeah. ton, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you find they're coming from mostly? Um, you know, everywhere. I haven't seen many people from Brazil. Mm. I can say that. Uh, a yeah. lot of people from Central America, mm-hmm. I guess because of the closeness. Yep. But I was in, uh, at Inter, um, uh, sorry, at the, what is the conference in Munich? I was at in July. Intersolar. Yep. Intersolar, mm-hmm. right? Um, didn't see almost anyone from Latin America. Right, yep. So it's, it's got to do with the geographic mm-hmm. closeness, I guess. Yeah. And also, but, but maybe beyond that, you know, there, there are more connect- there's more connectivity between North and, and Central and South America than between, you know, that region and, and Europe, I think. Sure, yeah, I, I would agree 100%. One of the weaknesses that I've found uh, as I've reached out sort of branched out, if you will, since 2012 in my career towards Latin America, is at the North America events, it's extremely difficult to to know who's working in Latin America. I mean, no one wears a sign mm-hmm. that says, hey, I'm coming from Mexico. So uh, on the heels of a quite successful event that we, uh, that we put together at InterSolar, we created the Latin America and Caribbean Solar Alliance. And yesterday we had over 100 people show up. Impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, even if, if it's just those 100, I believe there's probably 5x that in terms of attendees and maybe more attendees mm. from Latin America that are here. Mm. But at the very least, one of the tenets of LAXA is to create a space, a container where the Latin America folks can meet. And, mm-hmm. you, and you can raise your hand and say, hey, I am also focused on Latin America and I want to meet other folks in, that, in the region. And we just received great feedback from the both the sponsors who help make the event event possible uh but mainly the attendees who say wow i'm really grateful that there's a space for this you know it's been Mm. years of coming to these trade shows and you feel isolated because you just go from vendor to vendor and try to figure out who you can you know work with but Hmm. it's hard to find people to collaborate with Mm. right or or perhaps uh even Developers who are looking for, you know, a Conergy that might buy projects from them or Greenwood that might invest in their projects, right? Yeah. So, Well, now I'm even more sad that I missed it. Um, hopefully <laughs> next year, you know, but it sounded great, actually. Yeah, well, the next time we're going to have you on a panel. So, oh, well, thank yeah, you so much. Okay. I, I formally invite you now to, to participate. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful. You heard it first here on Suncast, guys. Terrific. So I'm curious, what was your first experience in Latin America? Uh, and was it solar-related or was it uh, other other 
feel? Yeah, well, I mean, consider that I grew up in Argentina. So mm-hmm. I left when I was 27. Uh, I worked in uh, mainly in finance. Uh, I worked at JP Morgan down in Buenos Aires. And uh, after uh, sort of est- establishing myself in the U.S. Um, and, and, and some, uh, you know, some four years in London, I came back to Argentina in uh, 2008, uh, early 08, uh, to join actually the group I'm with now. And the my focus at the time was real estate. So mm-hmm. we were developing and building office, uh, residential, hospitality properties. Um, so that was really my first exposure, um, you know, in, in terms of business, you could say, uh, at that scale. And then uh, in terms of renewables, when we built a two and a half megawatts Arigua plant in Panama, mm-hmm. um, that were very hesitant at the time, you know, because the U.S. was just getting started. And that was back in 2012. Yeah. Uh, or growing very aggressively at that point. And uh, going to Latin America seemed a little premature. <laughs> and, and yes, it was. But, you know, we built that project for a third party uh, as an EPC. Yeah. And, and then... Uh, as you know, a couple of years later, we came back and uh, to develop projects, and even that was early. <laughs> you know, this is really the year, but it was good to start getting positioned and, and creating teams and uh, learning about the legislation and the changes yeah. that are constantly happening, actually. I'll never, um, I'll never forget the, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, but yeah, I'll yeah. never forget sitting in the, uh, the Intercontinental in Panama in 2013, with Vincenzo and uh, and David and the guys from Colette and they said, "Hey, we really need. We actually really do. I was at Trina at the time. Need your proposal now. <laughs> you know, if we're gonna build this." Uh-huh. And uh, my boss looked at me and he's like, "Are these guys serious? Like, they're they're gonna build a forty megawatt in Panama? Like, wh- how? And uh, and to see it come to fruition. I mean, first of all, it's been." Uh, really inspiring to see how that deal kind of came together and part of the emphasis that we have on suncast is to dig into what makes projects good what makes project developers uh uh good and and how can aspiring uh project developers and aspiring sales professionals grow into that space right how can they learn from the types of projects that are already executed in the market. So um, I'm curious if you would be willing to speak to some of the keys to success Greenwood has had in expanding outside of the United States into Latin America where the culture is different, the business style is different, the financial risks are higher, harder to mitigate, the return requirements are, are harder to achieve. And uh, finding last, last, probably most importantly, finding the right uh, partner or team of partners is is, is essential. Yeah, <laughs> it's complicated, right? But you know, um, I, I'll say this: uh, a, a good developer, and I think that applies for any country in the world. In my view, is someone that is very client-centric, you know, and that is able to stand on the client's shoes and understand what the need is. And, and typically the need is a solution. It's not a solar rooftop, it's not a battery, it's, it's, it's not buying a cheaper electricity, it's, it's everything, you know? And also having the ability, the ability to get the client excited, 
Because many times saving a 10, 20, even 30% of the electricity bill is not enough to, to pursue this because you're talking about a 10 to 20 year commitment yeah. uh, if you sign a PPA. So being a good salesman and, and having an understanding or, or at least uh, a, a team to back you up on the financial side. And, and that's critical because um, I see it as, as, as really uh, two levers. One is the cost of capital and the other one is the cost of the installation. Mm -hmm. And the two of them are constantly changing. Yeah. And so if you don't adjust that almost on a monthly basis mm -hmm. and, and make sure that you're measuring the returns right, um, you will not have the ability to enable the actual developer guy, you know, or the, the right. sales guy. Yeah. So it takes a it takes a back office team that is really dialed in. Yeah. And that is constantly evolving. Yes. Okay. And then uh, I guess the third leg, so you have the sales and you have the financial leg and then you have the legal leg. Mm -hmm. It's you know, in Latin America and like in the US, you don't have such a strong rule of law. And I'm so I'm sorry, you don't have a strong rule of law. Rule of law. And and so you have to be very careful about the counterparty risk that you take. Mm. And you have to be very careful about how you structure your contracts. And it's very easy to put on the document, I'm going to sell you electricity for 15 cents a kilowatt hour right. for 20 years. But if you leave it at that, uh, you're going to have a lot of issues. Um, so, you know, making sure that you have all the bells and whistles, but situated in a PPA in a smart way not to scare the client because if you have a hundred page document that's not going to cut it either <laughs> you know so and then the the final aspect and, and and to wrap sort of all this complexity and take it to a, an even more complex level i guess is the currency risk mm -hmm. so how do you think about the currency risk uh where's your capital coming from what type of hedging do you need to do um what type of escalator are you going to are you going to use a CPI escalator mm -hmm. that is you know a way to sort of correlating to um, you know FX changes right uh, is the client going to accept it? And sorry, just to break in. So yeah. what you're referring to CPI is consumer price index, and you're referring to escalation uh, in terms of what the inflation is going to look like year over year. Correct uh, the, on the on the power and purchase agreement. Correct. So. You know, uh, it, it's, it's all of that, and then uh, it's also finding in Latin America, and, 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 and due to how, you know, poor, I guess, law enforcement is, um, <laughs> you need to partner uh, or hire uh, uh, people that are, you know, have the same set of principles, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, work ethics, uh, you know, as, as, as you do. Um, and that are going to be loyal, you know, and that are going to stick to it and, and, and go through the good and the bad. And, and it's hard to find those characters. Right. We talked a little bit about uh, the partnerships that you forged in mm -hmm. Panama, which were the tip of the spear in some ways. Um, the hottest markets in Latin America uh, arguably are Mexico, Chile, and Brazil. Brazil's still tepid right now, but certainly uh, Chile is, has boomed and uh, Honduras has boomed and is gonna is is gonna sort of taper off, uh, but in Mexico recently you had a very interesting approach, if you will, to the market. An established developer that had a significant pipeline with contracted power with a major retail entity in the country, and you formed a joint venture with that entity. And maybe joint venture is not the appropriate word. I'll let you address that. 
and uh, and over over the course of time, something happened. Can you can you speak to yeah. to how that unfolded? Yeah, I think you're talking about Elias. <laughs> I am, in fact, talking yes. about Elias. So yeah, we partnered with uh, David and, and Manuel at Elias. Um, uh, we started having conversations. I guess it was in uh, February of last year, and then we finally sealed an agreement, uh, which I think can be called a joint venture, mm -hmm. um, by August of last year. Unfortunately, during that time period, and through a month ago, power prices in Mexico on the HM tariff, which is the, the mostly used for uh, commercial businesses, went down by over 50%. Yeah. So something like six, six cents a kilowatt hour, very low. Yeah. So yeah, we had a great pipeline. Um, those guys are incredibly, uh, uh, you know, talented and competent, and and uh, you have David that is very well connected, and uh, Manuel that is uh, simply a genius. Mm -hmm. And uh, but unfortunately, power prices were not helping us. Yeah. So we couldn't get a deal done. And um, in the midst of all of this, by believe it was uh, June, late June. Um, David approaches me and tells me that he got an offer to uh, to sell the business and uh, for a pretty good price. And you know he is um, how to put this. He's a he's been around for a while. He's a shrewd businessman. He's a shrewd businessman, and it was a, a great offer. And and continuing under that umbrella uh, with Solar City uh, for the next many years mm -hmm. and this happened at a time when we also sort of uh, were changing gears from utility scale to DG and the partnership we had with them was basically financing their projects and what we really were trying to do in other countries was to have our own brand mm -hmm. and also doing our own EPC and O&M and it's really the way to compress um, sort of uh, margins and to make uh, the installation work, you know, and, 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 and really show its full potential. Right. So it kind of all happened uh, at the right time. And, and, you know, we're in this business because we want to make the world a better place. And we are not going to hold partners hostage because it goes against um, our beliefs. And uh, the minute I, I was asked, uh, you know, to relieve um, the, uh, I guess, exclusivity they have with us, I, I gave it to him right away, you know, and the deal was, was consummated, I think, uh, about a month ago now. Right. It was very positively taken by the markets, and Solar City is going to do really great with them. So, I'm honestly, I'm happy, and that triggered us to open an office in Mexico and hire a team and forge uh, new partnership and partnerships and more partnerships, but in a less invasive way, if you will, yeah. in a more collaborative way and uh, in a non-exclusive basis. And, and so we're working on some pretty exciting stuff in Mexico right now. That is exciting. Yeah. Uh, I, but before, I do want to get into two of the points that you raised, uh, both getting uh, migrating from utility to DG as well as opening up your Mexico office. Before that, I'm curious, did you just have a sense that Ilios was the right partner? How did you go around, how did you go about finding the right partner in Mexico? There are lots of folks you could have worked with. Why Elios? Uh, you know, we have um, a group of um, friends and partners around the world and, and, uh, and employees, and we looked at a lot of potential partnerships. Mm -hmm. So you look at the materials, you speak on the phone, and then eventually you select a group and you meet. 
And, you know, we wh- what I liked about Ilias a lot was, uh, first of all, I would say the chemistry. Yeah. Uh, I could sense that these were good guys, quality guys. Yeah. Okay, that was huge. And then the way of doing business. You know, David would jump on a plane and get to New York overnight. Right. And just he wanted to get deals done, you know, move aggressively and be transparent and... Um, professionally you know and and also having access um having access in mexico is very important um, most uh latin american countries yeah he had that and they also had they were solid on the technical side yeah so i knew they were competent uh, i knew we we're going to have fun working together i know i knew they had the access and i knew they were people of action yeah so and you can go wrong you know yeah uh, i I wouldn't say we went wrong in this case. <laughs> we went actually too right. Yeah. Um, you, but you chose well. You, we chose we chose too well. Yeah. <laughs> but I I would have I would have done the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. even knowing the the end because I did learn actually a lot. I can from imagine. This guys. Yeah. It was it was a good experience. Yeah. So it's interesting. I n- understand the nature of the development from Elios uh, in their beginning uh, from my time at Trina, just knowing these guys and and working through the, the different markets. What I've, what I've noticed is that not just you guys, but uh, several folks expanding internationally into, uh, into Central America and Mexico in particular, uh, not, not necessarily so much Chile, have chosen to partner uh, with Spanish firms, right? Spanish developers who had lots of experience from the Spanish boom and the Italy, the Italian boom, in, in Panama, of course, uh, with the connections that you guys have from Libra, the Italians are all over the market. Um, what do you see? Is it predominantly that they, ha- that they bring experience from how the European markets were developed uh, that that puts them uh, as a as a better, perhaps better partner than a good local construction or engineering firm? Yeah, I, I you know I think it's the expertise that they have, you know, the technical side, because. At the, at the end of the day, you can have uh, you know awesome relationships. If you don't know what you're talking about, mm. you're not gonna get any deals. Yeah. So these guys, uh, some do it at a distance from their office in Madrid. Right. That doesn't work. No. But there are others that are very brave. Okay. So our friend David Gutierrez and uh, yep. Juan Antonio Garcia, they went to Panama to yep. live there with, uh, with with their families. You know. And we're also um, about to seal a partnership with another Spanish firm but it's based in Mexico. Mm. So they have to be there uh, with their knowledge and they usually have to get a, uh, a local partner as well yeah. uh, in their firm. That's the ideal situation. Yeah, A local with the contacts and a foreigner with the knowledge. Exactly. And yeah, that cracks it. Yeah, that's, I'm really glad that you shared that. I mean, for me, that's illuminating because it, it confirms a few things that I suspect are true. Uh, in that not only do you need a good local partner, but really, for my, from my perspective, working in Miami, I'm working for uh, a German-American company, I speak great Spanish, but I'm not going to drop in and have the, the relationships that a local firm would have. Local firms, in quotations, can come in different formats, right? Maybe it's a, uh, a legal firm, maybe it's a real estate brokerage, uh, maybe it's a farmer you you know it just depends Mm -hmm. however the added component that i've seen succeed for you guys 
is an adventurous, brave, as you put it, uh, Spanish or in other ways European, perhaps. And there are Americans, by the way, in Chile for sure that mm-hmm. have, have done this successfully. But an, 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 a, foreigner, a foreigner who has the know-how from a developed market who's gone local, if you will, and pairing those two seems to be a rich formula. It seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, well I'm, there we've, got, we've got a little gold nugget out of the conversation for go. sure in that one. Um, we mentioned, it seems like, in conversations we've had, and you certainly uh, indicate as such in this, in this chat, that you're moving away from utility scale. Can you talk to why and what you see happening in DG? Yeah, utility scale is uh, is great because it's big, you know, and, and you, you almost use the same resources in an 80 megawatt project than in a 500 kilowatt project, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's the logic behind. Um, so we have projects in Brazil, in Peru, in Chile, uh, in Panama, and in Mexico, the utility scale projects. and they're still in their development after two years, mm-hmm. you know? And and so we at least don't have the patience uh, to wait that long. <coughs> so we continue working on those projects, but we need to see uh, more velocity. And and that's why we're refocusing on DG, which, you know, was always our intention, but we were expecting by this time to have projects built in Latin America, utility scale projects built, and, 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 and teams created around that to then repurpose them into DG. And what we're doing today is repurposing our current team uh, all together into DG and using a fraction of those guys to keep an eye on the utility scale size uh, projects. And, uh, and they'll move as fast or as slow as they'll, they'll, they'll have to. And it's very dependent on regulation and on government. So, um, it's in Latin America. It's hard to be dependent on on government. I guess it is indeed. Yeah. yeah, hard to be dependent that they'll do what they said they were going to do from a tender process perspective or mm-hmm. from an interconnection approval perspective. Yes. Uh, if in fact they have a f- any semblance of a grid code at all, mm-hmm. and, and again, uh, you know, I refer back to Latin American Caribbean Solar Alliance. One of the things that is a tenant, a core tenant, we want to ensure that as you know, an alliance, a, f- a federation, if you will, of the associations disparate across the region that we can begin to unify the voice and speak to the governments and say, guys, you don't have to re- reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things over the last three years that I've been in the region uh, very focused on understanding the development side that I've noticed is just a tragedy. You get Panama having a tender and feeling like they need to reinvent the tender process. Yeah. Uh, and then same, you know, the... The, the Panamanian, uh, I've, I've, I think I've mentioned it on, on a previous show, the Panamanian government could learn, ironically, a lot from the Honduran government. Uh, there are some things that I would hope Panamanians don't, uh, don't bring over, but one is uh, the ability to, to tender, even in a private manner, uh, a, a PPA that incorporates the baseload capacity of photovoltaics in a very real format, right? Not just allowing for energy, but allowing for capacity payments mm-hmm. on the PV. And if we look at Panama right now, that's part of the mess. If they would allow for PV to gain, even even to skim off the top of capacity payments, it would more than justify the, the, the uh, 
the in, the exchange arbitrage required yeah. from a return perspective to make investors comfortable with the spot market risk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's my thesis. I think that if we could if we could just inf- effect effectuate that change in Panama, yeah. you would see the one gigawatt of projects yeah. just velocity would increase yeah. tenfold. Yeah, look, uh, we're not a company like. Um, you know, NL or AES mm-hmm. that will go to the government and work, work on policy and get things changed. We, you know, we focus on what can get done. Right. And um, what can get done anywhere in the world is distributed generation. And that's what we're focusing on, you know. And that is actually, I think, the uh, the, the area of growth in, in the future. You know, and you, particularly when you look at the grid losses in uh, any country in Latin America, look for for instance in Mexico, you have twenty percent grid losses. The mm-hmm. U.S. is like a six or seven, I think. Yeah. Um, so DG is the winning formula. Yeah. You know, it's, it's frustrating because you have to start small. Yeah. But it grows exponentially. Mm-hmm. So if you have the patience, uh, it's a way to stay away from the government. Yeah. And get things done faster you know so one of the things that i think would uh accelerate dg in central america and the caribbean for sure is the ability to roll storage in to the financing mechanism oh for sure what do you yeah i mean and maybe it's it's an unknown for now and i and i know that you are uh bullish long term on the ability to incorporate storage but what are the keys to integrating storage into the financial package in the equation um today it it doesn't work in most countries. Uh, the cost is just too high. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are very close from making a viable solution. Very, very close. And so in our company, we are gaining some experience with a uh, data center project in the Big Island in Hawaii, where we're using a flow battery. Uh, is that Equian? It's Imergy. Uh, Imergy. Okay. Yeah, we just learned of Aquion, actually. I met last week with um, Nick Pritzker, uh, mm-hmm. from one of the former owners of Hyatt, who invested on that deal. And, yeah. and, and it's a really fantastic technology, yeah. actually. Uh, but, you know, this project was developed by Imergy and passed on to us, and so we have to use this the, their solution, and, and that's what we've, uh, you know, learned so far. And... Once we do it there, we see a number of applications in particular rural areas in, in Latin America, right. in Colombia, in Panama. Right. And that's where we'll start, sort of the low-hanging fruit. And within the next few years, you know, maybe two or three years, this is going to be everywhere. I agree. Everywhere, yeah. man. I mean, it's... Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, I think that the, uh, the content specifically around... Uh, your expertise in, in the Latin American market is uh, has been wonderful. I'm going to move into a section that I call leadership, lear- well, learning leadership and legacy. So I'm curious if you could name for us a couple of books, blogs, tools, th- things that you've discovered or perhaps you've created that have impacted the way that you understand the market and share with us how they've impacted your work style. Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll mention probably the, the ones I'm currently reading or just finished because it's easier but mm. it's a great book I am about to finish it's called Bold uh, by Peter Diamandis and he's one of the founders of Singularity University in Palo Alto right and and also read recently uh, Abundance his other book and Exponential uh, all these books are revolve around 
similar things, you know, and is um, to, to really focus on, you know, situations or opportunities that are going to be targeting a billion people or right. billion dollar companies, you mm -hmm. know and exponential growth and and really the technolo technology tools that we now have and and how's that gonna change everything uh really everything you know you're talking about uh crowdsourcing you know crowd financing um it's really going to allow not only um the 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 Kickstarter model that has consumers buying products in advance to yeah. raise money, but also qualified investors buying stocks in private companies. Right. And and so, if you couple that, uh, the access to capital, with solutions like Freelancer.com, where you can hire right. an engineer by the hour. Yes. And with you know uh, outsourcing manufacturing in China and India. You can really, in a in a period of a week, with just no employees, uh, take a concept from a prototype to commercial scale, and and convert the company into a potentially billion-dollar company. 3D printing, all That's this amazing. stuff, you know, yeah. all the things that are kind of we all know about are a little bit under the radar. And how how are, how do you see those coming about in the solar industry specifically? Like how are they going to radically change the the face of what we're doing in solar? Oh, by, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's ins it's insane. I mean, all this. Um, you know, I, I wrote an article about uh, against the ITC. Uh -huh. You know, it helps us. Naysayer. Uh, <laughs> yes, it helps us all, but it creates a barrier to entry and uh, mm. to you know to uh, smaller companies because you need to get at least 10 megawatts to uh, draw on a facility like that right. and have the access to it and have the balance sheet to guarantee the yeah. facility, um, certain indemnities and stuff like that. So. Um, the you know the crowd financing is going to allow or it's allowing a lot of entrepreneurs um y combinator i don't know if you heard of that one in, oh yeah. in palo alto invited in invested in bright mm -hmm. yep. so you know the access to capital uh makes it so easy to open an office in mexico you know and do 50 installations and then you've proven something and then you can raise a few more million bucks and grow grow just like that absolutely so and and then uh, enable u new technologies, you know, um, either out of schools mm -hmm. uh, or 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 just you know inventors that come up with a solution, you know. Um, <coughs> so I'm predicting huge innovation in the sector thanks to all these enabling technologies, actually, right. uh, product-wise, you know. Wonderful. Camilo, it sounds like reading would be perhaps the answer to this question, but I'm curious what one thing do you do consistently that yields the greatest impact in your personal and professional life? If you could distill it down. Yeah, I mean, reading for sure, you know, and I like listening to, um, you know, curious people and, mm. and, 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 and people that, and, you know, um, that are open. Like, and so I enjoy, for instance, listening to uh, Tim Ferriss uh, podcasts. Yeah. We were, look, we're yeah. talking about that the other day. And, uh, um, and yeah, reading different things. Um, but one thing that helps me a lot, uh, professionally as well, believe it or not, is actually fitness. Um, just running, riding a bike, swimming. Yeah, we've, we talked about that the yeah. last time we hung out too, just, just how much, uh, what a difference it makes, especially as uh, uh, you know, most of us who are in sales tend to be the type of personality that suffers from ADD. And research shows that the two things that can impact they have the highest sort of leverage uh, other than uh, taking Ritalin or some other drug are sleep 
and mm-hmm. exercise. Yeah. And sleep specifically is not <clears throat> is not so critical about how many hours you sleep. Interestingly enough, I've found mm-hmm. uh, that the time you get up, right? So it's being consistent. If you want to really kill that demon, it's uh, it's getting up at the same time every day. Even if you go to bed at 2 a.m., even if you go to bed at 4 a.m., drag yourself out of bed at, at the time that you've committed to every day yeah. and, uh, and and get that exercise in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of um, the, I don't know, the frustration and, and anxiety, I mm. I channel it through going for a run. Yeah. Some in, interval uh, training. Yeah, we... You know, because um, this industry sometimes uh, turns frustrating. Yeah. And, and you have to be patient, you know, and use your, use your brains and come with solutions uh, outside of the box. And, and sometimes it's good to have that sort of grounding yeah. to, you know, to keep things on, uh, in balance. So this is a little esoteric, and I'm always curious how what the answers are going to be for this. But 100 years from now, what do you hope to be remembered for? You know, I hope to be remembered as as a good guy. You know, someone that went out of his way to help people. Mm. Someone that did at least a little contribution or tried his best to do a contribution to make this place a little better. There are so many people in need uh, in yeah. so many different ways. Um, my mission at this point in time is to solarize the world. Right. And so I guess trying to help with climate change, you know, yeah. that, that'll that be one contribution at mm-hmm. least. Uh, this is the one I'm, cur- I'm working on now. Yeah. You know. Hopefully folks will be reading a book that you've written about how you changed the world. Yes. <laughs> what your little contribution was. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what's, uh, well, what is next on the horizon for you? And in and, and answering that as well, perhaps take a moment and, and let us know how we could find you if you're on Twitter or if you have other ways that people can communicate with you if that were something that... Yeah, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm in Twitter. I, I don't tweet enough, mm-hmm. but I, I'm on it all day. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, uh, Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-G-C-B, mm-hmm. hashtag. Okay. And, um, and also Greenwood, I checked the Greenwood uh, Energy. Uh, can't remember the one. Oh, the Greenwood Energy Twitter. Yeah, Twitter hash. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we tweet a lot oh, the there. Actually. A lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, but what was the question, sir? What's What's on the horizon for on you? On the horizon. Um, look, uh, making Greenwood really successful, you know, and um, and becoming really a, 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 a you know a, a, a large player in, in in solar DG in Latin America. Right, That's what yeah. we're focused on, you know. Yeah. Um, Personally, do you have any races coming up? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have. I just did a half Ironman in Santa Cruz on Insane, Sunday. Insane, yeah. And I'm doing another one in two weeks in Coronado in, You're in San beast. Diego. <laughs> You're a beast. And the New York City Marathon. So yeah, You're, yeah. You yeah, inspire yeah. me, man. That's great. Thank you. All right, let's end today with what I call the bold prediction. So, Camila, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What is your? What do you see in your crystal ball? <laughs> well, I wish I had one, but um, one thing I've been kind of thinking about lately is, you know, do you have this massive change in our industry where, you know, you can, you can see pretty clearly that within the next 10, 15, maybe even, maybe 20 years, um, this trillion dollar, trillions and trillions of dollar industry is going to change hands from utilities, IPPs, Hmm. to companies like ours uh, or, or the bigger ones, Sun Edison, NL, you know, green energy, etc. Um, so, 
you know, a lot of this is going to happen thanks to, to the storage solutions and to the, the solar installation costs going down. Uh, but then I was thinking, look, what is the next step? What's going to happen after that? And I'm like, holy cow, energy is going to be free. <laughs> That's my bold prediction. In wow. 20 years, energy is going to be free. It's going to be part of uh, the shingles or building materials. We're going to use a lot less of it as well. So I'm like, well, guess we're going to have to you know, squeeze our brains to change this uh, current utility business model into something more dynamic. And, and then you know, in the next 10, 15 years, everything's going to change again big time. So what an industry in flow, I guess. But yeah, that's my prediction, I guess. I love it. Wow, that's <laughs> the most bold prediction it's that pretty bold, I've had. Huh? Yeah, it is, absolutely. I love it. That's exactly what this is about. Well, on that note, Camilo, really appreciate taking the time with you. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule at the show to sit down with us and uh, look forward to having more chats in the future. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Thank you. Man, oh man. Thanks to amazing people like Camilo, we just keep getting smarter here on Suncast. And just like that, another episode's done. I had a lot of fun chatting with Camilo. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Did you learn something today? Why not give Camilo a shout out on Twitter at P-A-T-R-I-G-C-B, P-A-T-R-I-G-C-B. You can also keep up with Suncast during the week by following me on Twitter. That's at Nico Mayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O. And if you did enjoy the show, as I mentioned before, please consider sharing that love by heading on over to iTunes and subscribing. While you're there, consider leaving us a rating and review as that's what helps other people find this show and it gives us great feedback about what to do to keep improving for you. If you've never subscribed, rated, or reviewed a podcast before, not to fear. I've laid out detailed instructions on the website at www.mysuncast.com. While you're there, you can check out other episodes and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll be notified by email when each episode of Suncast is ready to download. You can also get entered for that chance to win a $100 gift card to the online retailer of your choice, as I mentioned in the intro. Click the Enter to Win button for details there. Hey, it's been amazing hanging out with you again this week. Please do tune in again next week for another episode of Suncast, and thanks for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.